lessons of a young youth pastor. One of my lessons as a young youth pastor is there are certain things that you just shouldn't say. I was having a parenting Sunday school class, and I was noticing that in my students at this time was a real spiritual deadness. And I wanted that to change. And uh, Michael W. Smith had just come out with a new album, and a couple of on the songs on it were just so powerful. And I knew that he would be touring in our area. So on a whim one day, I took out my personal credit card, and I bought 30 tickets to see Michael W. Smith. And I expected the youth group to really be excited about this, and all four of them signed up. And it was getting closer to the time of the concert. So on a Sunday morning in a combined class, I pleaded with the teenagers and said this, Please, please, go to the concert. Nancy's going to kill me if you don't buy the tickets. Afterwards, one of the parents, who happened to be a Vietnam veteran, sat me down. And he said, you need to be more careful of your language. Nancy will not kill you. She may be a little disappointed in you. But your words are inappropriate for a person of the gospel. Wow. That was hard to hear. And yet we live in a world right now where words like murder, kill, and hate are normal, aren't they? It seems that we don't know how to disagree with someone without taking it personally and then deciding that we hate them. And so we have all of these lines, and you live around all kinds of minefields, don't you? Because the world right now is giving itself permission to be incredibly hateful. And the world right now has given itself permission to be really angry And the world right now thinks that everybody should follow it. And there's a new censorship coming and that we're experiencing around us because not does everybody agree with us. And yet, as believers in Jesus Christ, God is calling us to something different. God is telling us that as believers in Jesus Christ, that our words matter. What we say matters. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he says not only what you say matters, and not only what you do matters, but it says what you think matters. And so we are living in this very challenging time, and it is interesting to try to navigate, to figure out the details that go along with these things. But this isn't the first time that this has been faced. This was also faced in the time of the first century church where there you had John, who had been in the presence of Jesus Christ, who experienced what we just sang about. Wasn't it beautiful to sing about the death and resurrection of Jesus? He had experienced that, and all of a sudden, these group of people came into the church, and they started saying, well, that's not what it really means. Oh, John says that he saw that, but I think what it really means is this. And Jesus, he's not as important as you say. There are other things that are important. 
And there's another way to live this spiritual life, and we want to tell you how to do it differently. And uh, you know what? Some of your sin won't matter. It's not that big a deal, because you are a spiritual being, and that's separate. And on and on it went. And you know what? That language sounds like how people talk today, isn't it? There are people in our community, there are brothers and sisters that have been your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that are starting to follow into something called a progressive Christianity right now, and it is evil because it diminishes the importance of Jesus Christ. I have been speaking on it for some time because I bumped into it, and somebody told me about this author, and so I looked up an author, and this author, his name is Richard Rohr, I'll say his name, And he says in Wikipedia, the atonement isn't that important. And writings and people like him are starting to do things and they're starting to diminish things and they're starting to twist the center of who we are, love, and say because we love, all of a sudden we need to accept sin and we need to overlook sin and it's sin doesn't matter. And it's okay not to even be loving sometimes because not everybody deserves love. And you know what that's from? That's from the pit of hell. I remember years ago coming across an interesting book. It's called The Satanic Bible. And inside of it were the Ten Commandments of the Satanic Church. And you know what the first commandment was? Love only those that deserve it. Wow. And that's the mantra of the world today. Because we learned last week that either we're a child of God or we're not a child of God. And if we're not God's child, we're Satan's child. And so we follow the mantras of a different Ten Commandments. And and John is very concerned about that. John is concerned about the ethic of how we live, but John is also concerned about the emotion and the thing that ties us together as believers. It's interesting. I was trying to think, why does John always talk about how we should live, and then he goes immediately into a passage about how we should love? And I, I was reminded as I was contemplating that this morning of, of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. In chapter 13, what does it say? It says, if we live right, but we don't have love, what are we? A clanging symbol. We're just an annoying instrument that we don't want to hear. We don't need more cowbell people. We need more love. And that is the heart of where he's going today, because he's going to bridge what he talked about last week, which says, hey, because you're born of God, You are pure, and you're supposed to be righteous, and you're supposed to live differently. And he's gonna, and he bridges that in the last verse of our discussion from last week, where he says this. But this is the evidence of those who are children of God, who are and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And remember we talked last week that it isn't so much that we struggle with sin, it's that we are overcoming the patterns of sin so that we don't do the same thing over and over again. That our prayer life isn't like this. Dear Jesus Christ, yesterday, what I said. Dear Jesus Christ, 
two days ago what I said. There isn't a ditto in our Christian experience that God is showing us how to become overcomers. And the first issue of overcoming is that he wants us to live the way he's changed us. We can be pure, we can be righteous, we can do the right thing. But the second thing that is unique to this passage is he says, what he says at the end of verse 10, he says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now this is very interesting because he's not saying his neighbor here. Or he isn't saying people. He's saying that there's supposed to be something unique about the body of Jesus Christ that we are known by our love. Does that make sense? What did he say back in John chapter 13? He said that we were supposed to love each other so that the world may know that we're his. And yet we have fallen into this. I, I grew up in a church where I was taught to hate. There were certain people, they were us. We're supposed to love us. But then there's them. Remember them? Them are not us. And so since them are not us, we need to love us, but not them. And we were given permission that if certain people acted a certain way or said certain things, it, doesn't that sound like today? Oh, I, I can't believe you talked about politics and you, you have a different opinion than I do. I, I'm going to have to hate you. I'm going to have to defriend you. We can never have a conversation again. So even though 98% of our lives we could talk about, there's this 2% that we differ on, and so we can't be friends anymore. Isn't that the world we live in? Isn't that what it's like? But this is what he says. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. From the very beginning of coming to Christ, the, the lesson that we're taught is we're taught two things. We're taught the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission says that you're, you're a Christian and everybody else should be one too. That's really the bottom line of what it says. And the Great Commandment says what? We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So there's three kinds of love that are supposed to take place there. We're supposed to be comfortable with ourselves. David said what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Did he say that on his best day? Did he say that the day that he, that he, that he killed a lion? No, he, he just realized that he was specially created by God. There was a self-love there, and then he, he loved other people. You saw that in his life, that he had this deep relationship with with, with Jonathan, remember? And what did he promise Jonathan? That he would take care of his family. And so he became king. And even though he had been so mistreated by Saul, what does he do? He finds him as Fivisheth. And he, he makes sure that he eats at his table. Love. Deep love. And God is calling us to this. This is something that our hearts are released by. Think, you've got to think of it this way. Your heart has been released by your confession of sin and your relationship with God so that you can love in a way that you've never been able to love before. That's why later on in John he'll say, we love because he loved us. 
But today he wants to talk about this second part of our new birth. And this new life means that we are put into a situation where we are supposed to love people. And that's why sometimes when people really irritate you, it really bothers you. You know what I'm talking about? There's these people called EGR, extra grace required. You met them? You know, you know them? Oh, yeah, we know them. In fact, right now, everybody has at least two people in their mind, right? And, and they're hard to love. And you know what? It bothers you when you're not loving to them. If you were not Christian, it wouldn't bother you. But because you love Jesus and he experienced his love, it bothers you that you don't love that person. You're convicted of it. Because the Spirit lives in you, and all of a sudden, you are wired to love. So new life means love. What's life without? What's life without? We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. <coughs> and why did he murder him? Because he, his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain's often, often used as an example or the prototype of wickedness of someone who is so angry that they're out of control and they do things. Think about that. We're only in chapter 3 of, of Genesis. We've had rejection of God. We've had murder. So without life, the example of it is, is the lawlessness that you see in him. Without life, there's hate. It says this, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I don't know why we get so surprised about that at times. You know, occasionally, have you, you've had that conversation with, I just don't know why they don't like me. Well, because you like Jesus. <laughs> you know? And then we get in our mind all these silly things we think. If I was just kinder, then they'd like me. If I just did this, if I just did that. Jesus did everything, and he was hated. But when we don't have Christ, when we don't have the life that God wants to give us, when we're not born into that life, we hate at times. And some of you remember hating people of faith. Remember that? Before you came to Christ, you're like, oh, those, ugh, those religious people. Oh, she's just so sappy, I can barely handle it. You know, and on and on it goes, right? But see, new life exhibits love. We have know that we have been passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And you've experienced it before. You've experienced those moments in your life where you struggle to love and all of a sudden you can feel this deadness start to come over you, right? You, you, you are fighting something and you can feel it. It's kind of like um, Pirates of the Caribbean where all of a sudden the, the light shines on and you realize they're skeletons and they're not real pirates. Remember that? And we experience that in our lives. I think that those moments where we rebel against God and we try to walk away from God are the, duh, are the worst moments. They're almost they're as bad as not being saved. There is a deadness that we feel 
but God calls us to new life. And a part of that new life is this ability that we have to love people, not in our own power, but in his power, he gives us this ability. Because see, without life, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow. Well, where do we get this from? Well, John sat underneath the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount? Where God isn't just concerned about what we say, but what we think. And it says, if you lust in your head, that you're an adulterer as much as if you committed the act, and you are a murderer as much when you are angry or hateful. Just because of what's going on in your mind. In fact, it goes further and it says this, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There is this tension. There is something that can abide in us. You know, remember what it said in John 17, 3, I love it, it says, and this is eternal life to know him. Eternal life isn't some other time. It's that relationship. And all of a sudden, think about this. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, eternal life came to abide inside of you. Isn't that exciting? Love's example. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is the example of love. It's sacrificial it doesn't even think about the fact whether or not the other person deserves it. You know, satanic Bible, love those who deserve it. None of us deserved love, did we? None of us were good enough. How, how good do you have to be to have salvation on your own terms? It's impossible. Your, your sin nature was so active before you could even ask Jesus to be your Savior that you were already condemned. Think about that. But God's love is an example to us. He is the example of love. What does love do? Love causes God's abiding love. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet does not let, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? All of a sudden, we realize that God's love is the thing that's compelling us. It's bigger than us. You know, that's why occasionally I've had a person come up to you and say, I don't know how you can love that person. And I should probably say, you know, I can't. But God does through me. God changes us, and all of a sudden, we have this ability to love. We have this ability to connect. That was one of the things that very much touched me about this church when I came here, is I watched how you loved each other. And I watched how you love special people. And I have one of those in my house. And I was so excited to think that this would be a place that he would be loved. And within the first year of him being here, two of the young men from this church realized that he loved a certain Christian rapper. And they drove him to New York City so he could experience a concert. They got him backstage passes, and he met Lecrae. That's love. 
That's Christ's example because of something that abides in us. But the love that we practice is an active love. It's not those empty words. You know, I, I follow several people on, on YouTube. I just kind of fell into a hole and I've kept on following them. And one of them at the end says, we love you so very much. And I'm like, you have 450,000 followers. You do not love me. Those are empty words. You love the fact that we somehow generate cash so that you can live your lifestyle. But I don't feel the sincerity of love there. But all of a sudden, our love challenges us to action. Sometimes it's as simple as cookies when you have COVID. Someone calling you up and said, can I... Can I shovel your around your house when you have COVID? But love is action and it's active. But it does some other things too. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whoever our heart for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. If you were not bothered about loving people, then you would not be born of God. But because it does concern you, even though you're not always getting it right, and even though you're overcoming your prejudices and the things that bother you, because you are in that tension, that is a part of the reason you know that you are a child of God. Because there's a lot of people that don't live in that tension occasionally in some of the meetings I go to in our community, there'll be a couple people and they'll just be at each other. They'll come from two different sides of the table and they, they will be really at each other. And I'll watch them completely dismiss each other, no longer go to each other's businesses, all those kinds of things. And I'll go, you know, maybe we should act a little different. And they look at me like I am an alien. <laughs> Because this is how you do it. This is how you do business, right? But when Jesus Christ comes in, if you're bothered that you're struggling loving, that is a sign that you are in the kingdom. Isn't Isn't that interesting? But love does more than that. Love, it says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Okay? And this is the cool part of love. Have you ever, I've been married to Nancy a long time, and occasionally I'll know I've done something wrong, but she might not know yet. (laughs) Have you ever been in that situation? But you think they know, or you're concerned that they might know? So you go to them and go, is everything okay? (laughs) You know, and you'll do that. And you, you start lacking confidence in that relationship because of, what they don't even know is a problem, okay? But the cool thing is, is because of how God abides in us and how God challenges us and how the Spirit convicts us, that because of that, we don't have to go to God and go, hey God, is everything okay? 
because I got some things I need, and I, I have some concerns, but if everything's okay, I know I can't know. We found out very early in this, this, this book, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And part of the thing that is so cool about the love of God and it abiding in us and it giving to us is that we can go to him with confidence. When I first came here, if I had certain needs, I'd kind of hem-haw around and I'd, I'd hope that somebody just miraculously figured out about it. But now as we've grown in relationships, I can go to you and say, hey, this is what I need. Hey, this is what my concerns are. And occasionally you say, well, that's a bummer. I don't know what you're going to do about that. <laughs> but I have the confidence that I can go to you. You know what I'm saying? If you're lacking confidence that you can go to the Lord, confession is the thing you need. And if you've had confession, then you have confidence because that's a part of what love does. Love gives us confidence. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we are confident before God. And what happens when you're confident before God? It says this, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. You know, when you are walking with the Lord, it is a lot easier to ask Him for stuff. Have you noticed that? You're not going, you know, God. You know, it's easy to go to the Lord. And, and you realize, all of a sudden, all these verses just flush across your head. And so, you know, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Asking you shall receive. Seeking you shall find. Knocking the door shall be opened to you. All of a sudden, there is a confidence that comes in this relationship if, there's, if we understand the love that abides in it. People who struggle with God and think that he's a jerk do not have confidence in their relationship with him. They don't trust him. In the same way, I, I've gone to you sometimes and say, hey, this is what I really think we should do, and I'll get that look on Charlie's face that says, eh, I don't think so. But we have a confidence in our relationship, so all of a sudden I can trust, even when there's a no or a direction change. But the other thing that happens is we grow in our relationship with him. We stop asking for things that he's going to say no to. Have you thought about that? We're more concerned about his will than ours, and so our asks change, and so that's a part of the reason that our, our, our receiving changes. Because we think more in line with that. And this is his command that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he had commanded us. These things are fundamental to our faith. Why? Whoever keeps his commands abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit that he has given to us. There is a confidence that as we learn to trust God and do what he says, as we allow our lives to be surrendered to him, that we just come to a point where we feel very confident in our relationship with him. 
And this is because of what God does in us. So here's a summary. New life and love are bigger than an ethic because it's grounded in an invitation to intimacy. God's just not calling us to be good people. He's calling us to be in a great relationship. We must stop acting like we are dead. Okay? If you're struggling with hate or frustration or envy, these are signs of your old life, not your new life. And you're dead to that. And you've been made alive to that. And you need to ask God to resurrect it. And he, every one of us is going to have the challenges that go along with that. And we live in a society that makes it even harder because we on Facebook, and it looks like everybody else is doing great. And then we struggle. As a parent, everybody else's kids are perfect. What happened with ours? You know? I, I followed the same rules. I read the same books. I went to the same seminars. There's our, there's our lined up in a row, and they're skipping, and they're at a beach. I live in the snow, and nobody wants to go outside. You know? This craziness that goes along with this. We have got to start saying more and more in our Christian lives, when we struggle with things, that this is not us, and that we have been made new. This is not me anymore. I've been made new. That's why God tells us to do what? Put off the old self and put on the new self, right? He says that we're new creations. The old is past. The new has come. But one of the signs at the center of that is relational. And even more center to that is the relationships that exist in the body of Jesus Christ. Because the thing that he's been saying over and over again in this passage isn't love everybody. He's saying that we should love our brothers. Here's the reality. I become more aware of it all the time. I can pick my seat when I go to the arena. And I can pick my friends. But I don't get to pick my family. You are all in this room, not because somebody picked you to be in this room. You're in this room because God picked you. And we are a family. God is calling us to a deep and unique love that moves beyond that 5% of the things that we don't agree on. Mask, no mask. Democrat, Republican. play outside, stay inside. On and on the list goes. Makita, DeWalt, you know, the list goes on and on. But God has called us to unique love. And I experience that in this body, but we need to continue to fight for it in the body of Christ because of who abides in us. We have to love like him. We are no longer of Cain's descendants. We are of Christ's descendants. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you 
for the miracles of how you change us when you bring new life to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to have a love 